from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. As a neighbor of an increasingly assertive Russia, uh, the relationship is not uh, is not as positive as as we'd like it to be. What we see is, uh, for some reason, they don't seem to like us that much. Jonathan Seviov, ambassador from Estonia to the U.S., recently arrived, talks with us specifically about Russia's and Estonia's relationship and also has some advice for the U.S., which is now undergoing an active measures and interference campaign from Russia, similar to what Estonia went through in 2007. Well, for us in 2007, it was a wake-up call. We realized that cyber goes beyond just governmental security. It is a whole-of-society uh, mm-hmm. issue. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The U.S. is struggling with the effects of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and the upcoming 2018 midterm elections. The explosion of hate-filled tirades on social media from people who have differences of opinion is fueled in large part by the breakdown of civility. What the Kremlin did was exploit existing divisions using what's called a hybrid warfare campaign. The operation deployed cyber attacks, a social media-based disinformation campaign, and human agents, some of whom, sources have told me, have been in place for many years, embedding themselves in U.S. society, waiting to be used as a tool in the Kremlin's plot to launch an attack on the U.S., that no one would see coming. Well, this is not the first time such an operation has taken place. Estonia found itself the victim of a similar attack in 2007. And on this episode, Jonathan Sevios, Estonia's ambassador to the U.S., explains what an attack like this looks like, what it feels like, and how to become resilient to such attacks. Sir, Estonia is well ahead of the U.S. and many other countries in the West when it comes to cyber security. Because you had a very painful scenario happen to you in 2007 at the hands of Russia. What we're dealing with now since the 2016 election is a very painful uh, introduction to some of the things that Russia does. But like I said, you've been well ahead of this curve for a while. You've been working, working your situation out for more than 10 years. Tell us what happened in 2007 to ignite 
this whole process in Estonia. Thank you, and uh, I think you're too kind. Uh, we are in many ways ahead because things have happened in Estonia before they happened elsewhere. But I'll need to tell you a little bit of context. When we uh, regained our independence in 1991, we re-emerged on the map and started to build up our our economy, our nation. Um, that was roughly the time when the internet got started. So we uh, managed to bypass many of the legacy systems that had sustained Western economies for decades. For instance, we never used checkbooks. We went on to use online banking from the beginning. Uh, throughout the 1990s, we paid a lot of attention on modernizing our economy, on making sure that we uh, use uh, the Internet as much as we can. And so by the uh, dawn of the 21st century, we had become what many call the Estonia. Um, uh, we uh, use uh, e-governance. The citizen interacts with the government mainly through the Internet. We do our taxis online. We even vote online. Um a third of the votes at our parliamentary elections nowadays are cast online. So the Internet really has become a way of life um, uh, for Estonians as well as elsewhere in the world. In 2007, we had an incident, um, uh, and indeed uh, uh, it included uh, cyber attacks that uh, did not target uh, governmental networks or, or classified systems that, um, for instance, the military uses, the cyber attacks targeted the way of life. They targeted the society in general, uh, newspaper websites, uh, sources that people use to get their news. Um, and um, it had a profound effect. Whereas uh, experts in these matters had realized that as we were increasingly becoming dependent upon the internet, threats to that dom- in that domain would become increasingly important as well. The general public had yet to understand that. Well, for us in 2007, it was a wake-up call. We realized that cyber goes beyond just governmental security. It is a whole-of-society uh, mm-hmm. issue, and uh, that we needed to take it seriously in cooperation between the government and the, and the private sector. Tell us exactly what happened during this attack in 2007. In 2007, we, um, uh, again, I need to give you a little bit of context. Um, we um, uh, removed a, uh, a statue uh, from the center of Tallinn to a, a graveyard uh, that triggered the whole incident. Uh, so in addition to cyber attacks, we had, uh, we had incidents all around the world at our embassies. Uh, our embassy in Moscow was sieged uh, by a pro-Putin youth group for days, our ambassador uh, was attacked and harassed, and we experienced those cyber attacks. These cyber attacks were relatively low-tech, so they just simply overwhelmed the internet traffic, if you will, and um, uh, overwhelmed it in a way that uh, made accessing websites impossible. You believe this was ordered by Vladimir Putin? Considering the context, um, we believe it was uh, it was ordered by the Russian government. Mm-hmm. Who in the Russian government makes those decisions is very hard to tell. But as Russia has been getting increasingly authoritarian, it's difficult to assume that major national security decisions are taken by people much below mm-hmm. uh, the president. Mm-hmm. One of the things, one of the reasons why I ask that question is because of the very thing you mentioned the 
the bold and aggressive nature of what Russia is doing now, um, you've seen it. You saw it 10 years ago and what you know, Ukraine saw in 2014, Georgia actually in 2008, you, you know, Spain, the Brexit. Uh, I mean, there have been other, other France, Germany, you know, other scenarios where Russia's exerted its influence, but it wasn't the same thing as it was with Estonia. And um, did... So was it a was was it a grudge thing because of the statue in the cemetery? Was it designed in your mind to teach Estonia a lesson, or was there some some other underlying reason that this was being planned and ex- executed aside from what happened with the statue in 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 the cemetery? Well, I think there always is an underlying uh, underlying narrative that is at play that oftentimes is not emotional but rational and strategic. Um, I am um, of the opinion that the Russians were testing the boundaries of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. So they uh, were they were actually using Estonia as a test case. Well, you can put it this way. I think every uh, one of these incidents has been seen as a test case. Nations obviously analyze uh, their own actions and the counteractions that the uh, that uh, that uh, take place. I think the fact that uh, we received overwhelming international support by our allies uh, in NATO, including the United States, mm-hmm. and in the European Union, uh, deterred further action against us. I think uh, the people who ordered these attacks and the people who organized them certainly took some lessons from those attacks. When you go back and look at the um, discussions in academic circles, in uh, also diplomatic circles that uh, follow the 2007 uh, attacks against Estonia, you will notice that one of the uh, key thoughts that, that keeps on coming up is the difficulty of attribution in the mm-hmm. cyber domain. Yes. Well, uh, these discussions about the difficulty of attribution uh, to some sound like the difficulty of pointing their uh, our finger at them and hence uh, could lead people to believe that they can get away with increasingly outrageous activities without really having to suffer the consequences. Well, the whole attribution thing is not as grave as it seemed back in 2007. It is possible to attribute attacks, especially with contemporary uh, methods and especially when we take uh, context into consideration. Yeah. But back then in 2007, that seemed to be the, uh, the, the, the key yeah. um, characteristic of this new domain. Mm-hmm. Um. Russian aggression, as we've discussed several times during our conversation today, has become a great concern for the the entire Western world. Um, Does that same concern uh, that Estonia had in 2007 and that other European nations and the U.S. have now, does that exist inside of Estonia? Is Estonia still concerned about Russian aggression today? Um, concerned and aggression may be two star- strong words, but we obviously notice the increased assertiveness of uh, the Russian Federation as a neighbor of Russia. There is nothing we would like more than to have constructive, friendly relations with, uh, uh, with Russia. Unfortunately, that has proven to be uh, impossible. Um, we, uh, you mentioned yourself, 2007, um, obviously 2008 in Georgia, uh, Crimea and Eastern Ukraine, there is a track record there uh, where assertiveness is not just a, uh, a uh, diplomatic strategy, 
but assertiveness uh, that takes the form of, of military uh, action. And that obviously is a major problem for European uh, security. It is a major problem for transatlantic security. Now, this said, we've taken a number of steps, and we as, a, as Estonia, but also we as the alliance, to deter further actions against NATO. I think many of these decisions that we've made over the past years have been, uh, have been uh, implemented fast and have actually deterred uh, Russia from further actions. Mm-hmm. That, this is not to say that we live in a perfect world where security concerns do not exist. They do exist. Yes. How, how are your relations with Russia? Well, uh, as a neighbor of an increasingly assertive Russia, uh, the relationship is not um, is not as positive as, as we'd like it to be. We're talking with Jonathan Seviov, ambassador from Estonia to the U.S., about Russia's distaste for some of its neighbors. And when we come back... For some reason, they don't seem to like us that much. Um, they don't seem to like many countries They don't. I think they seem uh, to be threatened. They, they feel they are threatened in many ways by democracy, open markets, uh, free societies, oh, especially... On. Aren't you being a little too nice to Russia here? The nitty-gritty of Russia's problem with the West, plus... We often talk about interagency cooperation, the importance of interagency cooperation when dealing with contemporary challenges. Well, cyber goes beyond that. Uh, for us to be successful uh, in the cyber domain, we need uh, not only whole of government, we need whole of society approach. Some advice for the U.S. in dealing with Russia's aggression. That's coming up when we continue on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability, enabling faster, more assured decisions. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. This is a Target USA moment. Episode 1, the show that started it all. Almost every morning here in Washington, the Director of National Intelligence goes to the White House to brief the President about the threats and the challenges the U.S. is facing. It's called the President's Daily Briefing. And Clapper gave us a look at his office at how he gets prepared to do that. Get up at 5, 5.30 and start right away you know, reading the news clips and that sort of thing. Get in the car. Protective detail brings me in and I start reading the uh, iPad that we have for the President's Daily Brief. And Clapper, who's been gathering intelligence for more than a half century, says what he's seeing now is not good. In the 50-plus years, I don't know the time when we've been beset by a more diverse array of challenges and crises uh, around the world. Uh, sometimes it al- almost makes you long for the halcyon days of the Cold War and uh, a single, all-consuming adversary, the Soviet Union, which we came to understand pretty well. This has been a Target USA moment. Episode number one. Download it. Relive it. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. On this episode, lessons learned from Estonia about Russian meddling, we're talking with Jonathan Seviov, ambassador from Estonia to the U.S. And we were just talking about how Russia doesn't seem to like its neighbors and most of the West, and why that is, and why the Kremlin is so hostile towards its neighbors in the West. 
why is that, though? What is Russia's objective from Estonia's point of view? Well, I think that's uh, a, a really good question. For Russia, uh, huh? That's a really good question, but also, yes, indeed, that's, uh, that's a question for Russia. What we see is, uh, for some reason, they don't seem to like us that much. Um, well, they don't seem to like many countries They don't. I think they seem uh, to be threatened. They, they feel they are threatened in many ways by democracy, open markets, uh, free societies, oh, especially, especially the closer they tend to be. So, Ambassador, with all due respect... There are three states in the U.S. that have economies that are bigger than Russia's. Three individual states, Texas, New York, and California. Each economy is bigger than Russia's. Mm -hmm. It's not their fault that Russia's economy, Russia's not a resurgent power. It's a revanchist power. And, you know, the, the, the population is aging. The economy is tanking. The infrastructure is not. And corruption has been the main part of that problem. So, you know, I aren't you being a little too nice to Russia here? Well, we are on air, so you have to be nice. <laughs> well, um, of course, diplomacy is always important. Um, well, I think, first of all, the fact that a nation is in relative decline vis-a-vis other powers in the world doesn't necessarily mean that that nation is less dangerous. Uh, oftentimes, um, it's the opposite that happens to be true. Um, so, um, yes, of course, Russia faces serious um, uh, structural problems. Um, the way the leadership in Russia has decided to deal with those problems is, I think, at the heart of this question. Yeah. Um, I don't think we need to speculate mm-hmm. as to what they're trying to get done uh, where they're trying to move their nation, foreign policy-wise, defense policy-wise, when you look at and listen to the speeches they make and look at what has been going on um, over the past several years now, you see a pattern. You mm-hmm. see a, a clear pattern that is very problematic from the perspective of Western security. Mm-hmm. Now, the West has realized this. Uh, when you go back to this NATO, for instance, NATO summits uh, in Wales, in Warsaw, even, uh, you know, uh, to contemporary days to this summit we just had in Brussels, and look at the decisions we've made, then you can see that we have clearly woken up to the, um, to the challenge that uh, an increasingly assertive Russia poses. Uh, we are building a, a, up a credible defense and deterrence posture, and while we're doing this, we're trying to maintain open channels and uh, a uh, functioning dialogue with Moscow wherever possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. Um, it's never a good thing to try to embarrass uh, uh, anyone on air, and we don't intend to do that. Certainly the people of Russia are fantastic people. They're, they're wonderful people. We're not discussing anything we're discussing. We're not talking about the people because they're wonderful people. You know, what we're talking about is the government. And, you know, the government of Russia has been described in many ways as, you know, in, in less than glowing terms, and we can just leave that there. But um, what Estonia has done has been something of a blueprint for the rest of the world in terms of how to protect yourself and how to deal with this now exploding cyber risk problem. One of the things you've done is a remarkable accomplishment that's talked about around the world as the Center for Excellence and Talent. Would you tell us what that's about? Uh, yeah, gladly, of course. Uh, we uh, 
set up a center of excellence that brings together several NATO nations that deals with the uh, with the cyber uh, issue. Um, we um, set it up before 2007. Uh, it has really become a major hub uh, since 2007. It uh, has now become the largest center of excellence that NATO has. NATO has a number of cyber centers of excellence mm-hmm. that deal with uh, specific issues that relate to defense and security. Well, the one in Tallinn now is the biggest uh, when you count member states or even personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, what it mainly does is it conducts exercises where it brings together experts uh, for live exercises, but also tabletop exercises. It brings together experts from different NATO nations for discussions and uh, deliberations on cyber policy, on doctrines, on uh, training. It writes um, uh, a... a uh, let's forget about what it writes... It works on legal issues, mm-hmm. which it is especially known for. It has um, published uh, now two volumes known as the Tallinn uh, Manual, which deals with the question of uh, cyber in international law. Mm-hmm. So, if you will, uh, it functions as not only a training and exercising hub, but also as a sort of a, a, a cutting-edge think tank mm-hmm. uh, for governments on matters relating to cyber. Yeah. You know, um, we, can, you, can you cut out the the sure. the sentence that I absolutely that I messed I mean, up? Well, that doesn't exist because you didn't mess up anything. But I do understand what you're saying. Yes, thank you. Um, I'll take care of that. Um, what other security concerns does Estonia have aside from cyber and Russia or any other you know specific situation? What are the other security concerns? Well, as a uh, as a member of the transatlantic community, the international community, the European Union and NATO, we uh, are, of course, affected by everything that goes on in the world. Uh, geography doesn't matter as much as it used to, especially in the cyber domain, but also with regards to international terrorism, instability. Uh, geography has lost uh, much of its meaning. Uh, it has brought this globalization, I mean, it has brought positive developments, but unfortunately now, uh, these days, uh, threats that emanate from faraway regions may affect us no matter where we live. So we uh, uh, look with concern at the um, um, instability uh, where no matter where it uh, takes place. In the wider Middle East, we have um, um, uh, sent troops with uh, American forces uh, with other European uh, allies to uh, Iraq, uh, to Afghanistan. We uh, have forces with the French in Africa. Uh, we're a small nation, so the numbers of Estonian forces that uh, fight to uh, increase stability in the world are never too great, but uh, we like to make the point that whenever we do show up, we show up with no caveats, uh, with a lot of flexibility, mm-hmm. and with a willingness to do what is necessary to uh, safeguard the way of life that we hold dear. Mm -hmm. So we are as much as anybody else in Europe or North America affected by all of the developments that take place in the world and we take them seriously. We contribute to mitigate the dangers no matter from where they emanate. Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to ask and I forgot to ask but I'll hearken back to it now. 
Um, the new element that the West, at least the U.S., is seeing right now from Russia's point of view is we're seeing disinformation and we're seeing the trolls and uh, we're seeing all of that activity. I'm sure you're aware of the story regarding the infamous troll factory in St. Petersburg, which we found out about in 2014, long before we realized what it meant. Did you have any, Estonia have any experience with that? Being right next to Russia, yes, we do. Um, we, uh, we've noticed these trends for quite some time now. How long, would you well, say? It's difficult to say, but going back certainly more than a decade. Um, not only targeted against the, um, the external world. Uh, if you look at the internal developments in Russia, then you see media manipulation um, vis-a-vis the Russian population that has taken place uh, uh, for years already. So it's not only a, a tool of foreign policy, but also of maintaining control domestically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quite certain that the more aware the general public is of this tool, uh, propaganda, false news, uh, the spreading of uh, fake stories in social media, the more aware the general public is, the more immune it becomes. We have been dealing with these uh, false stories for years now, going back to 2007, but even beyond, uh, even before, Um, going back to the 1990s. Obviously, back then, uh, without social media, uh, without the internet, but still the same uh, aim, spreading false narratives, uh, multiple false stories, trying to make sure that people not only believe the alternative theory, but that people don't believe anything, uh, because there are so many different theories out there. So I think the the Estonian uh, society has uh, uh, become relatively immune. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as the world in general becomes more aware of these um, um, methods, uh, the more immune do our societies in general become. Yeah. So it'll. this is good for, for the U.S. to know because it's... Uh you know, it's hope that uh, this too shall pass. Oh yeah, there is there is hope. Uh, yeah. There is hope. Uh, the more people make them uh, are aware of the of this, yeah. the more they will doubt their, the sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more they will double check or maybe even triple check, and the less effect uh, false narratives, false stories will have. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the U.S. and what it learns from Estonia in this particular situation. Now, can you characterize the importance of the relationship between U.S., the U.S. and Estonia? Oh, absolutely. Uh, For us, the relationship with the United States is of enormous importance. Uh, We view the United States and the relationship we have with the United States as uh, one of the cornerstones of our security. And I think the same can be argued for the United States if you only were to look beyond Estonia, look at Europe and the transatlantic relationship in general. We are, um, we as Europeans and you as Americans, we are people who share so much, uh, not only with regards to trade and, and uh, defense and military matters, but also when it comes to shared values and principles, uh, the way of life that mm-hmm. we hold so dear. And then you look at the world and you see the world not, be, not getting safer, mm-hmm. rather to the contrary. Uh, no matter where you look, you you see challenges and problems that are unfortunately getting bigger. 
it is going to be increasingly difficult for anybody, for a nation of 1.3 million like Estonia, but also for a nation of more than 300 million like the United States, to deal with all of these challenges alone. Uh, this is so true for Europe. I believe this also to be true for North America, including the United States. So for us to cooperate uh, makes uh, perfect sense. Uh, we have our cooperation goes back obviously decades. Uh, we have proven to be strong allies. We may disagree. And as free people do, they argue. Yeah. Uh, they uh, sometimes have uh, um, nasty disagreements. Democracy yes, is a messy business. It is a messy business. It is a messy business. But at the end of the day, the fact that we do have these sorts of arguments, the fact that we do have these sorts of arguments within our societies, between opposition and coalition, uh, between free peoples, and this is what unites us. And at the end of the day, we need to defend this way of life that unites us, and we need to do it together. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to do it. That, that makes you stronger. That makes you stronger, absolutely. And, and it's certainly is, true for a small nation like ours. Yeah, and this is something that aggressors f fear. They fear unity amongst the, their uh, targets because uh, you've heard the story of David and Goliath many times, I'm sure. And um, aggressors, large aggressors, always fear that. And But what's interesting about situations like that is the ingenuity that comes from a small, united group on many occasions throughout history has proven to be dominant over a large, gigantic foe that is spread out across many places across the world. And Estonia, I think, has shown uh, a lot of resilience in what it's done since 2007 and certainly moving into this era that we're in now. So I would ask you, what would your recommendation be as the rest of the world begins to fully embrace what you've gone through a decade ago? What would your advice be? With regards to cyber, mm -hmm. uh, several things. Uh, first, uh, we often talk about interagency cooperation, the importance of interagency cooperation when dealing with contemporary challenges. Well, cyber goes beyond that. Uh, for us to be successful uh, in the cyber domain, we need uh, not only whole of government, we need whole of society approach. So much of our cyber infrastructure, so much of our cyber life takes place outside of the government, uh, the banking sector, the telecommunications sector. All of this is in the private sector. So I would emphasize the importance of whole of society approach. Now, this is difficult. It's easier said than done. Um, but without bringing in the private sector, without including them in this discussion, in these developments, it is very difficult for any government to secure the, um, the cyber domain. It's possible to secure the government's own networks, but not our way of life that is increasingly dependent upon the Internet. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I would uh, point out that uh, international cooperation is no longer a, um, a nice-to-have um, thing. The internet is not contained to one's country. Dealing with the challenges in the cyber domain require international cooperation. The mm -hmm. wider, mm -hmm. 
that cooperation, the better it is. Um, for instance, in NATO, uh, we, uh, uh, the, an organization that unites North America and, and Europe, um, there's a lot that we can do more when it comes to dealing with the cyber domain, uh, working together to deal with those challenges. So these two points, I think, are of, of, of uh, utmost importance. Mm-hmm. Whole of society, cooperation with the private sector, and international, mm-hmm. international cooperation. Brilliant point. Is there anything, Ambassador, you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important today? Well, I think you've asked, you've asked all the right questions, um, all, all the, uh, the relevant questions that concern Estonia, uh, our relationship with the United States. Just as a, as a concluding remark, if I may, may add one thing that I think is of importance but is often lost um, in the debates and discussions we have around NATO and the Transatlantic Military Alliance. Um, people often mistakenly, I think, um, assume that NATO is a military alliance that's aim is to defend territory. Of course, territorial defense is part of what NATO is about. But at the end of the day, from the beginning, from when it was founded, the aim of NATO is to defend our way of life. Uh, democracy, um, freedom. Now, NATO has been very successful. It has expanded since the uh, days of the Cold War. Uh, back when NATO was founded, Estonia was occupied. Now we're free and a member of NATO. So the boundaries uh, of freedom have expanded, which is a great story. When people ask why it is that Americans need to worry about the defense of uh, Estonia or Estonians need to worry about the defense of uh, the United States, for instance. I always like to point out the fact that it is not territory that we are defending. It is the way of life that we share. And hence, uh, the defense of Estonia or the defense of the United States, the defense of any of our allies, uh, can really not be separated from the defense of, of others. I think that is oftentimes missed when people discuss NATO. It is true, I think, in the conventional domain, uh, but also true in the new cyber domain. Ambassador, thank you so much. Thank you. uh, I don't want to overstate this fact, um, but uh, what you've done is um, open our eyes to some very significant nuances to what uh, the U.S. In, 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 the U.S. is going through a very difficult situation right now. Chaotic to say the least. And much of it in the eyes of the analysts and the experts that have watched what's taken place in the last year and a half or two realize that the U.S. has disagreements within itself. And there have been forces that have taken those disagreements and amplified them. And we might as well look at it for what it is. And it was a scenario whereby uh, Russia essentially deployed some of these forces that it's used to attack others in the world very successfully, very successfully against the U.S. Because the chaos that we have now is exactly what they wanted. But Estonia went through this fire a long time ago. And I think we can learn a lot still from Estonia. And so... You've shared some some brilliant remarks with us today about how to do that. I, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. 
That's it for this week's episode. Our guest has been Jonathan Seviov, Estonia's ambassador to the U.S. Coming up in our next episode, whether it's terrorism, anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, intelligence, or the U.S.'s own counterintelligence drama that's playing out in the Congress, join us on Target USA for the latest. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C-4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.